um, embedded. We heard businesses there talking in many cases about it not being transitory and they're having to raise prices again and again um, and also having to pay higher wages as well. Well, uh, to me, it's wages, which is the most interesting aspect. Once the labour market becomes tight enough to push on wages, that's when it becomes very much embedded. And that's when you get those spirals, wage mm. price spiral potential. And that's the one I think you'd most be concerned about. At the moment, you're not seeing it feed through to wages aggressively. But once the labour market becomes particularly tight and the Phillips curve starts to play again, which it hasn't for the last decade, then, of course, then it becomes uh, something very difficult to, to stop. But uh, the markets don't seem to be too bothered, do they? The 10-year bond yield keeps on falling down to 1.3% now. Yeah, uh, and I've been trying to understand that because uh, it has certainly been a conundrum for many of us uh, who watch the markets closely. Um, You know, you could argue it's purely a demand for treasuries uh, as an asset class, and there's potentially an argument there because banks are happy to hold um, uh, treasuries as their high-quality liquid assets, uh, and as they increase their balance sheet, They'll need to buy more of those. So it could be just purely a supply-demand issue. I don't think so, but, uh, yeah, um, many more experts uh, have better views than I do in relation to why the bond market's behaving the way it is. It certainly caught me a little off guard. Okay, Toby, thanks very much. Have a good weekend. That's Toby Lawson, the CEO of Societe General India. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Over in Australia at the moment, the ASX 200 is flat, but other markets are moving to the downside. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is off three quarters of a percent. The Cosby in South Korea down half a percent. And futures markets indicating um, a lower open for the Hang Seng in an hour's time of about a quarter to a third of a percent. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is slightly lower at $73.37 a barrel. And gold is moving a touch higher at $1,830 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening. Have a great weekend. Do tune in again on Monday uh, for Money Talk. Uh, Stay tuned for Back Chats with Hugh Chiverton and uh, Danny Gittings. The weather forecast for today, cloudy with sunny intervals, few showers and isolated thunderstorms. The maximum temperature is going to be about 33 degrees. And then the weather will be unsettled with occasional showers during the weekend and early next week. There is a thunderstorm warning in force this morning and a very hot weather warning. It's 30 degrees, 79% relative humidity. It's 8.32. Over with the news is Samantha Butler. ...says the situation in Hong Kong is deteriorating and Beijing isn't keeping its commitments with regards to the territory. He was speaking at a news conference ahead of US sanctions expected today against Chinese officials. Vicky Wong reports. Reuters news agency is reporting that two sources say financial sanctions could target seven officials from Beijing's liaison office in Hong Kong over the crackdown on opposition figures here. A separate updated business advisory issued by the US State Department would highlight America's concerns about the impact on international companies of Hong Kong's national security law. The US Deputy Secretary of State, Wendy Sherman, is preparing a visit to Japan, South Korea and Mongolia next week. No mention was made of China, which had been anticipated in foreign policy circles. President Biden has been meeting the German Chancellor Angela Merkel, who's making her farewell visit to Washington after nearly 16 years in office. Mr Biden said he'd expressed his concerns to Mrs Merkel over Russia's Nord Stream 2 natural gas pipeline, which will take Russian gas directly to Germany via the Baltic Sea. He also said the US and Germany would be united in defending NATO's eastern nations. We stand together and we'll continue to stand together to defend our eastern flank allies at NATO against Russian aggression. 
While I reiterated my concerns about Nord Stream 2, Senator Merkel and I are absolutely united in our conviction that Russia must not be allowed to use energy as a weapon to coerce or threaten its neighbours. Chancellor Angela Merkel says she's shocked by the humanitarian disaster in western Germany where the worst floods in decades have claimed nearly 60 lives. Mrs Merkel warned the full extent of the disaster wouldn't be known for a few days. She said her heart went out to the victims. Friedliche Orte durchleben in diesen Stunden eine Katastrophe. Peaceful towns are living through a catastrophe. You could say a tragedy. I'm deeply shocked by the reports I'm getting from towns which are totally submerged, where people in dire need have fled onto the roofs of their houses to save themselves. I'm grieving for those who lost their lives in this disaster. We don't know the exact number yet, but it will be many, and my deepest sympathies go to their loved ones. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverson, your co-host today, Danny Gittings. Danny, good morning to you. Good morning. Today, the future of tourism and the book fair. Labour and Welfare Secretary Lo Chi Kuang said this week that the government could not keep funding the tourism industry with no end in sight to the pandemic. The government had offered at least $2.6 billion worth of release measures for the tourism sector to cope with COVID-19. Ms Law also said the practical thing to do is to try to help people working in sectors that are struggling to change jobs. The statement sparked concern within the sector. Yesterday, the chief executive in LegCo said the tourism industry is one of the key pillars of the SAR's economy and the sector has a rosy future. <clears throat> she said, though, that Hong Kong needs to fix its negative image as she complained that some people are driving others away from the city. Well, how do you think the tourism sector is doing? Why should tax dollars keep supporting it? Does it have, realistically, a viable future? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, Backchat at RTHK. HK.HK, or you can call us on 233-88266, And after 9.15, we're going to be talking about the, uh, the book fair. Uh, now on, the first amid the uh, pandemic and after the imposition of the national security law, Chip Cho will be joining us uh, for his thoughts uh, on that issue. On other issues, some uh, emails related to our discussion yesterday on the bit about uh, plastic and microplastics in our streams. Uh, Jim H. says, natural evaporation happens. Rain from evaporated ocean waters can fall into reservoirs. Many Hong Kong hiking people do not use disposable uh, uh, water bottles. Jem uh, says, uh, on the, uh, we've got a few with a common theme here, <clears throat> says, Jem um, says, why let your female co-presenter constantly interrupt and talk over other people this morning? Uh, not good. Uh, and uh, uh, Din says, <clears throat> perhaps you could crack your whip in future and control the conversation. The first half of today's programme was a cacophony of angry women shouting unintelligibly over each other. Sam go loyan yak go hoi. Well done. Can you translate that? Nope. Okay, <laughs> that's my pronunciation, I'm sure. And Tommy says, Hugh, can you ask Nixie to stop interrupting and talking over the callers and guests? It's not the same as guiding the conversation. And uh, on uh, today's 
uh, issue. TC says uh, on Facebook, the tourism industry, among others, is paying for the government's unrealistic policy for zero cases. Most of the world have come to the shifted their focus on vaccination, managing the virus, and simply not let cases swamp the medical system. That's from TC. Once again, our email is backchat at rthk.hk. Our guest in the main section of the show this morning in our Queensway studio, we have uh, David Webb, founder and editor of website.com, and also joining us, Ronald Wu, who's the chairman of the Hong Kong Association of Travel Agents, and Professor Haiyan Song, Associate Dean at the School of Hotel and Tourism Management at Hong Kong Polytechnic University. Good morning, uh, Professor Song. Let, let's go to you first. Uh, Pro- Professor Song, um, you, 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 of course, are uh, teaching students um, who want to go into the tourism industry. Does, um, does the tourism industry have a future in Hong Kong, and are you seeing um, concern among your students? Uh, yes, uh, absolutely. Thank you for inviting me to uh, to the to the show. And uh, of course, uh, there is a future uh, for tourism in Hong Kong. And uh, although temporarily uh, the tourism industry and uh, and the related uh, sectors has been affected, but uh, uh, definitely once the pandemic uh, is over and tourists will return to Hong Kong uh, from different parts of the world, and they still need people to work in the industry. So, yes, the still future, I, I don't see there's any uh, significant change in terms of demand for Hong Kong tourism in the future. Well, what did you make in that case of the Labour Secretary, Lord Chikwong's remarks, when he's basically suggesting people should um, move to other industries instead? Um... I think uh, uh, currently, because of the uh, the uh, uh, drastic decline in tourism uh, demand in, in the city, and there uh, people perhaps are thinking to uh, change their career to other sectors. Uh, but in the long run, when the tourists return, you still need uh, tourism products and services to meet uh, the requirement of future tourism. Uh, yes, temporarily there may be some shift, some changes, but in the long run, I think uh, tourism will remain the same. How long run are you, you think? I mean, a lot of people talk about 2024 at the very earliest, and these, these estimates keep getting put back, don't they? Yes, uh, uh, actually there are different forecasts, right, different scenarios. Um, according to our forecast, uh, we did do a forecast for Asia-Pacific in terms of tourism demand. Uh, uh, the recovery will be uh, uh, in batches in terms of the destinations. Uh, I think some of the destinations will open up earlier. Uh, others will be late, depend on the uh, pandemic situation in their respective countries or regions. Um, Hong Kong, uh, in terms of Hong Kong, we will uh, project that by uh, the end of 2020, uh, tourists will recover. 21, you mean? Oh. Tw- 20, uh, 22, sorry. 22, uh, 22. The end of 22, sorry. The end of 22 will recover to uh, probably close to the pre-pandemic level. Uh, and also this all to do with uh, many policies and measures, including vaccination. I think the, the only way uh, for the future of tourism uh, in Hong Kong and also other uh, countries we see in Asia-Pacific 
uh, is to get people, uh, you know, vaccinated. If we reach to say 70% of uh, population being vaccinated, and then tourism will certainly will recover, and you know, the confidence will be built. So. I'm a little bit more uh, optimistic than, than others. That is a very optimistic forecast because you're basically saying in just over a year's time, things will be back to where they were before the pandemic. Yeah, roughly, not exactly, but, uh, you know, in terms of uh, uh, the demand, you will, ca you will see a strong recovery uh, uh, along the way. Okay. And you think the government should sort of continue their, the support they've been giving uh, in the past uh, for travel agents, for cafe and, and hotels and employers and, uh, and so on uh, until this until this ends? Until the, the Personally, I think they should. Uh, the mm -hmm. government should continue to support, although the government has uh, generally supported uh, the industry over the past uh, year or so. Actually, there were three... Uh, supporting uh, scheme being launched and lately in February uh, budget spe uh, uh, speech actually there was another uh, over 900 million uh, promised uh, to the industry to support the industry and also another 765 million also allocated to Hong Kong Tourism Board uh, to you know set up the promotion and revive the industry so the effort has already been made into financially uh, to the industry I think uh, yes the industry would uh, hope there will be more support to come uh, but at the same time the current support uh, should be uh, uh, you know, still can be used uh, to revitalize uh, the industry. Also joining us is uh, Ronald Wu, chair of the Hong Kong Association of Travel Agents. Mr Wu, good morning. Good morning. Now, uh, you just heard very optimistic um, projection by Professor Sung suggesting things will be back to normal um, by the, basically the end of next year. Are, are you that optimistic, or do you think it's going to take longer or sooner? Uh, it's, 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 I mean, I, I'm definitely also optimistic, but at the same time, I, I think rate is going to be the key for us um, in terms of how long the recovery is going to take. If we, if we look at examples in, in China and in the U.S. Um, during this past uh, July 4th weekend, domestic travel has resumed to where it was pre-COVID. And that's because, so which, which shows that you know, people are actually eager to travel. It's just that they're not allowed to do so. But once we get the vaccination up and you know, we're, we're loosening up these uh, social distancing rules, less quarantine time, you know, we, we're very optimistic that um, people will travel again and Hong Kong will continue to be one of the top destinations of choice in Asia for either people from China or Southeast Asia or around the world, just like it was pre-COVID. But even with double vaccination, we're still talking about uh, seven days in quarantine. And um, even then, that's all kinds of restrictions. You have to have tested, have the right test for antibodies. Um, how many travellers going to come and spend seven days in quarantine to spend their holiday in Hong Kong? Well, that's, 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 that's one thing, right? If we, you know, the, the quarantine period definitely needs to be reduced for, for those that meet these requirements of doing antibody tests or, you know, having two vaccinations. And, and, and that's another point I want to mention. Um, you know, people will, in the future, travel will not be as, as simple as it was before, just buy a flight ticket, book a hotel, and you're able to go anywhere you want. There's going to be a lot of work that you can do before and after. And the role of travel agents becomes more important because nowadays people would actually, they don't want to plan the trips on them by themselves because it, it's a lot more complicated than it, than it was before. So, um, 
um, we need to keep our other talents in the industry so that when the recovery period comes, uh, we, we believe that travel agents will be more, more important so than before because of these you know, um, more and more complicated um, 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 preparations that you need to do before you allow to travel again. Mr. Wu, I gotta say, you know, you you've had no business, presumably, like zero business for a year and a half or something. Yes. How do you survive? How does your industry survive at all? Well, I mean, um, how do you pay the rent? From the from, from the owner perspective, you know, um, we're trying our best to to cut down as much cost as possible to to survive. If we look at the record; the number of travel agents in Hong Kong hasn't reduced much, meaning that you know people are are doing whatever the best they can, you know, um, taking their savings out um, um, to, to try to survive the storm. Because all of us still believe that once the pandemic is over, the demand for travel exists. And in terms of staff, you know, we are, you know, we are allowing staff to, to look for short-term part-times, um, um, allow them to find alternative sources of income to during this period of time. But at the end of the day, what we want to see is they would like. They all would like to come back and, and work in the in the hospitality industry once once the pandemic is over. It has been a very very difficult eighteen months. We we must say because you you have a subsidy of what it's about ten thousand dollars a head effectively. Is it for people working in travel agents? Uh, I think it's ten thousand per head for, yeah, for each employer. That's yeah. not going to last very long, is it? That's no 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 no. It might just pay a few months rent. Going, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right, Dave, David Webb. Good morning to you. Morning. Thanks for for joining us, and, and congratulations on your thirty years. Yeah. Yes. In, in Hong Kong. Uh, interesting messages on your on your website. Um, uh, good to see you. Uh, what do you make of this? So you have Lord Chi Kuang and and uh, and uh, uh, the CE mm. saying rather kind of different Differing. things. Yeah. Oh dear, he's he's dropped the party line, hasn't he? Um, <laughs> He'll be back in line in a day or two, won't he? Uh, probably, <laughs> but walking backwards rapidly. Um, and bowing in the, at the same time. I mean, you know, he's actually speaking the truth that, that um, at, unless the government uh, has some intention of opening our borders again, uh, there's not going to be a meaningful resumption in travel. Uh, it's not a matter of reducing quarantine times um, or creating some gravy train for the travel agents of, of multiple testing before and after flights and so on, uh, as Mr. Uh, uh, Wu suggested. That's not... Uh, uh, going to bring back a large amount of cross-border travel. We actually have to get back to the stage, as we did with measles, where we don't test people for measles before they get on the plane. We just assume that enough people in the world have been vaccinated that it's not a major problem. And, and uh, that's where most countries are heading. Um, they haven't got there yet, but um, many of them have dropped their domestic restrictions um, and are gradually moving towards open borders. And if, if we set a time frame and told our population that uh, on a certain date in the future, maybe four months from now, uh, that we would uh, allow uh, fully vaccinated travellers in without testing, uh, without quarantine, and then soon after that uh, anybody in without testing and quarantine, uh, then that would uh, rapidly stimulate the remaining people to get vaccinated uh, and produce herd immunity in Hong Kong, as we already have with measles, um, and then we wouldn't care. It's a highly infectious disease, measles, but if, if, if we've got herd immunity, anyone who wants the vaccine has the opportunity to get one, uh, then, then, then travel uh, of people into Hong Kong and out again isn't a problem. And 
a, a large proportion of the uh, travel in and out of Hong Kong, it's not just tourism, of course, it's business. It's things like meetings and incentives, conventions and exhibitions, or mice, as they say. Um, uh, you know, and sports events like the Rugby Sevens, where people come for a long weekend to enjoy the, the um, um, bars and restaurants and uh, hotels of Hong Kong and then spend money at the, at the uh, event itself. We're not and those people are not going to be spending seven days in quarantine or even jumping through multiple hoops to avoid quarantine uh, to, to get here. That's just such a turn-off uh, because any one of those hoops they might miss and not be able to get in. Uh, and so, and so we're, we're going to lose out to places like Singapore that will, will open up faster uh, if, if we don't uh, get a move on. And so, so I think, you know, you know that's uh, whether, whether CK Law was right about the gloomy outlook depends on government policy on the border. Uh, but it's, every sign is that um, the government is aiming to open up the boundary between Hong Kong and the mainland of Macau. Of course, Macau and the mainland already have an open boundary. Um, and join the China bubble, uh, at which point our policy on international travellers in and out will be driven logically by the mainland's decision uh, because you can't have people um, going through the back door of one place that's opened when the other one hasn't. So, so we'll have to wait until China's ready to open its international borders and then you have to ask when would that be? Um, they have to educate uh, or, or redirect the population to, the, to towards the goal of, of manageable COVID rather than zero COVID. So swing round the the whole belief that China is somehow COVID free, um, and and I, I suspect that we'll get uh, uh, the boundary open uh, to the mainland by the first of October, National Day. After all, it is one nation, um, one country, and then and probably not until first of July next year uh, will we be talking about opening the international border and whether that's partial or fully i don't know well the, the boundary is open with china now it's just you have to go through quarantine if you go into china isn't it so uh, uh, you you for, do for, for, hong, for hong kong at least for those who are on home, home visit it's, it's partially open. it's it's, only, it's you, you, we have to go through quarantine so so it's not in that, in that sense um, china is still treating uh, hong kong as as it does um, uh, other returning residents um, and and in, in the opposite direction, uh, we do have this return to HK scheme for residents, but not for visitors. Uh, there's uh, zero visitors, zero tourists are allowed into Hong Kong at the moment. Uh, it's funny that uh, Carrie Lam stood up in LegCo Q&A the other, the other day, question time, and said that certain people have been driving away visitors from Hong Kong. Well, I can think of one person who has banned them from Hong Kong <laughs> completely. Uh, you know, my mum can't visit me in Hong Kong. She's, she'll, she'll be on the plane, uh, double vaccinated, just as soon as she's allowed. But, well, uh, <laughs> yeah, just to, just to follow up on that, uh, we've got a comment from an email. This is from MT, who says, pre-COVID tourism from the mainland was already in a steep decline. So the return to norm means what numbers? Uh, uh, Professor Song, yeah, what about that, what uh, uh, Carrie Lam was presumably alluding to there when she was talking about some people uh, uh, driving people away from Hong Kong and Hong Kong had to fix its negative image and, you know, we've been hearing there's support for the tourism industry and there are supposed to be uh, agents, uh, agencies, PR people, you know, who are supposed to relaunch Hong Kong's image and things like this. I mean, apart from the COVID, we're, we've got a lot of problems anyway, haven't we? And especially problems... Uh, with our neighbours, uh, Professor Song. So does that cast a, a, yeah, a doubt I, I on our future? I think that's a really uh, uh, issue. I think Hong Kong need to uh, 
to uh, rebrand uh, itself and uh, to improve its uh, image uh, to tourism from, I think, mainly from mainland China, probably for a few other countries as well. Uh, but um, I think uh, Hong Kong uh, has uh, uh, its core uh, products and services in place. And if we actually uh, uh, further to improve our image uh, internationally, we will regain our strength uh, in the mid to long run. Uh, in terms of return to normal, it does not necessarily have to be 80 million uh, tourists from, from China. Yeah, do you think it'll be different? Uh, yeah, I think it will be different. Probably will be high-end uh, high tourists and younger tourists. Uh, who are probably more technology savvy and uh, looking for lifestyle, uh, you know, urban uh, vibe and that sort of thing. Uh, I think the mass tourism era will be gone in the future, so we'll not actually see uh, a lot of uh, tourists from, you know, 30 third-tier, fourth-tier cities and flocking to China, uh, sorry, to, to Hong Kong. I think that the, the composition of tourists will, will be different, and especially uh, the younger generation, probably they will be still uh, very much want to travel to Hong Kong or travel from Hong Kong to other places. I think the, the product and services need to be uh, uh, changed or, you know, uh, refined to meet uh, the new tourists. Uh, so, yeah, I, yeah, it will not be the same in terms of numbers, but in terms of volume, in terms of the income, tourism receipt, uh, mm. it, will, it will return. Well, we need, we need to aim uh, uh, to, to allow the market to, to direct itself towards premium tourists. And the trouble is that the government has been doing the opposite over the years. They've allocated land for, for budget three-star hotels and said this piece of land can only be used for that purpose, thereby depressing the land premium revenue from it, rather than uh, requiring hotels to pay up, uh, 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 competing against other demands for land, like housing, um, the result of which would be only luxury hotels aimed at luxury tourists. And then, um, you know, we'd be more like Paris, perhaps, and, and attracting uh, people who are going to spend more in the shops, in the restaurants and, and in the hotels, ra rather than herds of people uh, and, uh, following, following yeah. a flag to the nearest jewellery chain to be fleeced um, uh, under an arrangement with the travel agents. Yeah, we've got an email from Jeff on, on that uh, related topic who says, the Hong Kong travel industry previously suffered from classic over-tourism, perilous crowding in some locations like Taekwa Wan, uh, detrimental change to the retail mix, especially near the boundary, and this also uh, this gave rise to anti-tourist sentiment. What measures can we put in place now to ensure that when tourists return, it is by legitimate tourists and not parallel traders? Introduce a tariff on milk powder, uh, says uh, Jeff. Uh, Professor Song, yeah, if you want to change the mix and the people who are coming here, how do you do that? Well, I think uh, there has to be a... Uh uh, consolidated effort from the all uh, stakeholders in Hong no Kong, and we have to change uh, our mind mindset. And especially given uh, the technology nowadays, actually. Um, all industries, including tourism and hospitality, they are driven by technology. So I think there's um, uh, opportunity, actually. This is, uh, of course, a crisis, but uh, we are facing uh, unprecedented opportunity as well. We need to uh, re uh, uh, package ourselves uh, in Hong Kong in terms of uh, the sort of uh, products and services that we will be provided. Uh, I think we, sh we, we cannot rely on the old um, 
uh, configuration of the tourism industry. Uh, Hong Kong has been a, a shopping paradise uh, for many tourism from China, but now tourists from China does not have to do not have to go to Hong Kong to buy things. They can do it in uh, in Hainan or their own cities, right? So I think uh, somehow the, the industry will have to change and this is the opportunity to make this change. Uh, Ronald Wu, do you agree the travel industry is going to have to change? Well, I think, I think one thing we, 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 have to, we have to face is, you know, we, we seems, it seems the focus is always talking about inbound travelers. But, but you know, in, in our industry as long, we have outbound travelers and inbound travelers. I think, um, you know, it's very equally important that we, we put our focus on in remembering that Hong Kong's um, airport is always running in full capacity. And that's why we did the runway before COVID time. Um, people from, from China, for example, they're able to come to, to Hong Kong in many different ways, by train, by ferry, high street rail. I mean, there's, there's a train departing every two minutes from, from Long Wen, Long Machel, so they can easily come to Hong Kong. And also with these um, IBS uh, visas, visa policy that the, the, the national government has been given us. So um, the changes does, cannot come from bottom up. It needs to come from top down, meaning that you know, we, need, we need to have our infrastructure ready. For example, the runway, you know, allowing more, more flights to land in Hong Kong, give them more slots, so that we can have a more balanced and diversified market. But it, it's, not something that, it's not something that can be changed overnight. And we, we have to accept the fact that it will take some time um, um, for, for the arrival, for the visitors' arrival to, to reach, you know, what it was before, over 60 million. And that's not, that's not realistic. We, we just want to see a gradual resumption of travelers, you know, let's say like starting at 10, 15 million, gradually going to 20, 25, so that we can actually resume our economic uh, um, um, activities to, uh, to, to allow the, the practitioners to, to, to at least stay in the industry and, and earn some income. So we, we, we're, not, we're not looking at a, at a V-shaped rebound. We're just looking at a gradual, slowly linear um, increase in the next few years. Mm. Uh, okay, well, fingers crossed. Uh, Mr. Wu, thank you for joining us. Ronald Wu, Chairman of the Hong Kong Association of Travel Agents. Thank you to Professor Hyun Song, Associate Dean in the School of Hotel and Tourism Management at the Polytechnic University. Uh, we're going to be uh, continue the conversation after the news at nine. Also going to be talking about the book fair with uh, Chip Cho. Uh, chip in. Backchat at rthk.hk is the email address. The weather now. It's going to be mainly cloudy. There's sunny intervals and there were a few showers and isolated thunderstorms. Uh, the thunderstorm warning uh, in effect now, as well as a very hot weather warning. Uh, light to moderate easterly winds and the outlook unsettled. Occasional showers, 30 degrees now. Relative humidity is at 77%. Welcome back. This is Backchat on a Friday morning with Danny Gittings and me, Hugh Chiverson. We were talking about the uh, future of uh, tourism with those uh, contrasting comments by the Labour and Welfare Secretary and by the uh, Chief Executive uh, this week. Uh, later, we're going to be talking about the book fair, uh, now on, uh, with uh, Chip Cho. Uh, uh, as ever, we want to hear from you. You can give us a call, 233-88266, We haven't got anyone on the line at the moment because we've just got David Webb, uh, founder and editor of website.com in our central studio. Just. 
just yeah <laughs> and uh okay some comments um on our discussion uh, alonzo says hong kong's tourism industry and indeed regional tourism can only post a sustainable recovery when we open our borders to china and that may only occur when china adopts a vaccine that is far more effective than its current batch of offerings sinovac sinopharm etc and which is recognized by foreign governments yesterday's news that a panel advising the mainland's drug regulators given the green light for the biontech vaccine to be administered in china is certainly an encouraging sign, suggesting that pragmatism has trumped national pride and that Beijing may finally have accepted the growing consensus view that its own vaccines are not currently a match for the mRNA options offered by the likes of BioNTech and Moderna. That's from uh, Alonso. Uh, And uh, Bob says, uh, on the tourism sector, it's common knowledge that we need to get the vaccination rates up to around 70% for things to open. Now, maybe I missed something here, but I do not believe the tourism sector has done anything to promote vaccine uptake. Instead, they focus their energy on asking for more taxpayer money from the government. Shame on them for this attitude. That is uh, from Bob. Uh, And uh, Din... uh, translates that earlier phrase three women one market thank you very much indeed for that um uh, and uh, jim h says i've traveled long haul from hong kong since the 80s using the same three-person agent shop not a single time have they failed my travel need at home or with difficulties overseas the dedicated people are under financial stress at this time my question what support may they receive to save their job and he says i'm currently booking september to travel hong kong Tokyo, USA, there is no issues of concern. That's from uh, Jim H. And a question uh, for David Webb from John. John says, sorry, this is off topic, but maybe David would like to answer it. And John says, some years ago, well before the events of 2019, David Webb wrote an essay about why Hong Kong's then situation of liberty without democracy was unsustainable, forecasting an inelutable expansion of fought speech controls and reduction of democracy. In light of all that has happened, this essay seems remarkably prescient. But I'm working from memory and would like to review the text. Is it published online somewhere? David Webb, doesn't this relate to the piece you posted yesterday about uh, 30 years in Hong Kong? Yes, if you go to the latest article on website.com and in there there's a link to my article of 2019 when I basically mapped out what's happening now in terms of uh, purging... Uh, um, negative thoughts in the civil service and schools and so on and uh, um, uh, clamping down on, on uh, the pandemocrats and viscerating the legislature. So, yes, it's, it's, it, it was unstable. It was going to tip one way or the other. I was always hopeful that it could, uh, you know, we, could, we could abolish corporate voting and, uh, and create a proper electoral college to elect the chief executive and that would, that would work within the basic law without disturbing the 2014 decision. Um, uh, but uh, clearly Beijing had other ideas and wanted to go with the authoritarian route, and that's where we are, that's where we've landed. Um, and now we just have to uh, live with it until China's ready to uh, change its uh, system, um, which I think is, is it's a question of until rather than if. Uh, at some point it will need to do that to maintain economic growth. But... but uh, Maybe not in my lifetime now. Well, uh, this is slightly off topic, but uh, our listener asked it. You're saying it was always unstable? It was always going to tip? So well, it, it what, was what al- happened would, would, probably would happen at some point. It was an almost unique combination of free speech and no democracy. You don't see that elsewhere in the world. You see uh, you know, authoritarian rule in some places uh, and very open societies in others. Uh, and, and, um, and so 
you know it wasn't it wasn't going to last forever and it was tested several times and now it's fallen over we've we've had we had the national curriculum thing in 2012 which was uh, dropped by the government before that in 2003 we had the um, national security legislation article 23 which was uh, dropped um, and you know, so each time the bomb was defused, and this time it wasn't. So, so if it hadn't been the extradition bill, it probably would have been something was, else. Well, all of those were self-inflicted by the government, of course, and and so so you know, the extradition bill was the latest one, mm. and that's the one that that broke the system. And, but I mean, if yeah. you're you're saying that it was unstable, was going to tip. As I said, yes. if it hadn't been the extradition bill, something else probably would have come along a few years later. Sooner or later, we would have to deal with those contradictions, as they say up north, um, and. Um, you know, it's so. So uh, that, that's where it's come down. RTHK is under threat. I don't know how long you'll have an English channel, for example, or if you do, whether you'll allow live live discussions like we have now, rather than filtered ones on on, on recordings. Well, there are English channels on on China, in China. I mean, you have English channels all over Asia, regardless of the system of government. Well, I, I'm not in China, in the mainland. I'm in, I'm in Hong Kong, China, so I can't no, speak to that. But I don't, I don't believe that you have free and open discussion on the airwaves of China in English, do you? Just returning to about the art, is there anything that you forecast that hasn't happened? Or that you, in your, you, you tell well, so many things did happen that you say you forecast. Just turn yeah. it round, things that you, you expected in this worst case scenario. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad that it wasn't a bloody crackdown. Um, that there was that possibility and I outlined in the article I wrote that I was also dealing with the aftermath of it and talking about the possible things that would happen um, in terms of overseas reactions and what's happened here as well. But uh, but, but we got here without having a bloody crackdown and that's obviously a good thing from from a humanity perspective. Would you expect the government so-called laissez-faire attitude to change? Um, that, well, that's the issue. You see, as, as I said in yesterday's article, it's not, uh, un, it's not impossible for an authoritarian government to uh, make free market choices in its policies. Uh, those, those are not inconsistent. We, so, so there's no reason why, uh, the, 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 under the new era in Hong Kong, uh, the government can't uh, remove um, legislative but, um, hurdles to competition and go after entrenched um, oligopolies and monopolies and make a more efficient economy. Uh, they, they could do that. Um, and so uh, since, since that's the only wiggle room left, I'll be, you know, what, what public time I have in terms of public affairs, I'll be trying to nudge the uh, policymakers in that direction still and asking questions like, you know, why, why do we still have a cap on the number of taxes and, and uh, basically illegal uh, ride-sharing services? Uh, why do we have a cap on the number of buses? If we're talking about reviving, reviving tourism, then there's a cap on the number of non-franchised buses and, and school buses compete with tourists to, to use those. Uh, so... You know, there's, there's you, plenty of things that yeah, we uh, can do. Because there's sort of, you know, there's kind of muttering about that, isn't there? And there's sort of pressure from FTU and so on uh, to sort of take on the tycoons. And you know, people have talked about this now as an opportunity to, to, uh, yeah, take on the, the the rich people who've dominated the Hong Kong economy. Well, it remains to be seen uh, whether so. that happens. Well, exactly. Yeah, because I don't know the what that's going to how that's going to materialise. In- no, yeah, I mean, it depends depends what Beijing wants, obviously, um, and they. Yeah, the the, the uh, corporate voting is more powerful than ever under the new LegCo structure. 
um, and in the election committee as well. Uh, they haven't gone away from corporate voting. They've introduced more of it. So, you know, but, but whether those people will all just um, uh, do what's asked of them and not get in the way of reforms, um, that's a separate question. But uh, the traditional sectoral interests in the Hong Kong businesses are less, are less powerful. They're, they're swamped in the Legislative Council now by election committee, and the election committee is a sort of itself restructured, so you have all these representatives of mainland organisations put on. So yeah. your taxi industry yes, and so on the, doesn't have the, quite the same clout that they um, used to. Uh, there's, still a, there's still a transport legislator in an expanded LegCo that is one of, one of 90 rather than one of 70. Um, and you know there's there's still transport seats in in the um, election committee, uh, so uh, and of course mainland businesses also have interests in Hong Kong too. So so whether they'll they'll want to um, probably not in the taxi, overturn not in the taxi trade probably no no. So so you know there, there's 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 still hope for running Hong Kong more efficiently under an authoritarian system. Um, I mean you know if if you look at some other places that um, they they've you know, Singapore, for example, although it does have a parliamentary democracy, it's, it's been the same party that's been running the country since independence in 1965, but they've introduced much more competition in things like taxes and electricity production. Uh, there's competing generators and distributors. Well, how, how about that? So, how, sorry, how about that? The example, I mean, you'll be well aware of the... Um School of Academic Literature that says it's actually it's actually easier to introduce these kind of reforms in authoritarian society. Well, yeah. So so you don't you don't have any uh, long debates in Lechco anymore. Uh, you just tell unless, them what to do, and you don't care so much about the well, unless they want to get a call. Interest. Well, they want to get a call from the uh, liaison office for getting in the way. You know, so so you know the, the liaison office could quickly pull them into line if it wanted to. Um, so 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 yeah, maybe maybe some things. Uh, positive will get done, but there's also a temptation to do more and more draconian legislation and crack down on access to information, for example, in the company's registry, uh, or introduce um, uh, you know tighter privacy laws which make it difficult to do news coverage. I mean, there's, there's one um, proposal. I don't know if it's still on the drawing board to, to say that um, people cannot be. Um, identifiable in media coverage, and that means that all pic all faces in a crowd would have to be blanked out, um, because otherwise their mum might recognise them in the crowd. Um, rather than being identified, saying this is a picture of uh, Danny Gittings or Hugh Giverton uh, at such and such place, that that would be an invasion of his privacy. But but simply taking crowd scenes and street scenes and, 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 and so on shouldn't be a problem. Anyway, we're, we're kind of way off your, your topic, but I'm happy to carry on. If you, yeah, if you don't mind. <laughs> if you yeah, want to. Yeah, yeah we'll just pick your, pick your brains. Um, uh, uh, I can say Carrie Lam is doing all these... these uh, she's talked about these consultations uh, and so on. She's doing a series of radio interviews. Mm. Uh, and so well, it's on. noticeable in the last few days, even, that, that um, our leader has started appearing more on radio shows, and obviously there's an election coming up, so... Everyone's wondering whether Beijing is going to allow her to run a second time um, and win a second time. So uh, and the, what you would think you? The what two would, are connected, right? Yeah. Um, and and I don't think anyone knows the answer to that yet. Maybe she doesn't either. All right. If, um, so, <laughs> it, uh, what would you like to ask Carrie Lam if you were going to interview her? Oh, there's a long list. I'd have to think about that. I only have a, fin a short amount of time to do it. So, yeah. no, I'm not going to get into that now. <laughs> <laughs> OK, well, okay. <clears throat> so let's take you back to the Hong Kong-Singapore comparison, because yeah. you raised that. I mean, where do you stand on that? Because there are a lot of contrasting opinions about that now. You hear people saying that 
Hong Kong will have less freedom than Singapore because Singapore's an independent country. But on the other hand, you look at various indexes, even press freedom, where uh, people talk about how much press freedom has deteriorated in Hong Kong, but still a long way, on any index, a long way ahead of Singapore. Well, that was one of Hong Kong's competitive advantages before. And it still is, actually. Um, I mean, I know the difference well, is narrow, but it still is. You look at it, Hong Kong is still a long way above Singapore on the indexes. Well, the indexes haven't yet been recalibrated, re- remeasured since Apple Daily closed. I don't think there's been a new index after that. And, and uh, you know, Stand News has re- withdrawn all of its opinion pieces from its and site. And there are many other... I um, mean, I could mention academic conferences where we talked about the yes. national security law and people pointed out that you would never be able to have a discussion like that in Singapore you, you about would not, ISA. I mean... Yeah, and you wouldn't be able to start up and run Apple Daily in, in Singapore. It wouldn't have happened. Uh, but, of course, it does happen. It did happen in Hong Kong and it does happen in Taiwan. They've got free media in Taiwan. Um, and and so you know between Taiwan and Hong Kong, clearly Taiwan is now in the lead of uh, in terms of uh, freedom of the media, um, and you know that that's um, that's just the way it is. Uh, that's a rather easier comparison, Taiwan versus Hong Kong. I take you back to Singapore versus yeah. Hong Kong. Is there still a certain extent where you can say that in various areas we still do have more freedom than in Singapore? Well, I'm not an expert on me- on comparative analysis of media freedoms. You probably you probably know more than I do about that, but. But, but um, you know, uh, clearly you, you are free in both places still, I hope, I mean, because that's what I do, to criticise policymaking, uh, to try to contribute constructively to better policymaking and criticise bad policies. We've been talking this morning about tourism and, uh, and, and uh, immigration and quarantine and so on and all of those things. There's a healthy debate on the subject. Um, so... You know, I hope that once things settle down and the courts start to define the red lines better, um, that uh, that Hong Kong can still um, carry on within that uh, narrower framework. Do you think we're moving towards a new equilibrium, which would be very different from where we were a well, year yes. or two ago, but it might stabilise at the current level? That's what, that's, what, that's, that's what I was predicting, you know, that you had to go one way or the other into a stable equilibrium from an unstable one. Um, when, you, when you balance a, a pencil on its um, base if it's got a flat base, it's still quite likely to fall over one way or the other. Or a ball on the top of a hill uh, will fall down into the valley on one side or the other. Um, We have now reached, or are close to reaching, the bottom of the authoritarian valley. I hope things won't get much worse. Are we at the bottom? Why why do you think we're at the bottom? I I said all close to it, because, you know, I can't rule out the possibility that uh, live discussions like this might be removed from the airwaves uh, uh, in in order to to, to filter out what uh, I'm saying, at which point I would stop coming on your air. Um, You know, I want them to be able to be unfiltered. Uh, within reason, uh, you know, uh, you on, see, on your show. People might have thought that we reached an equilibrium six months ago with Apple Daily still allowed to exist. And then uh, yeah, well, you discover there wasn't. So why should it be the equilibrium now, I suppose? To- well, I don't think you can have a negative amount of Apple Daily. I mean, you could probably have you know, a zero amount of that, and that's go- it's gone. Um, yeah, but there are other things that um, could disappear but, apart from Apple Daily. Yes, you- so, so, you know, the... There are still, I mean, I talk to the media a lot, as you know, and, 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 and editors and so on, and there are still concerns about um, whether they can report what people like Nathan Law are saying, for example, or is the report itself going to be a banned thing because effectively you're giving him a voice on, 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 on their um, publication. Um, will we reach um, what levels of censorship that happened um, in, in the, the UK during the troubles in Northern Ireland 
where it was illegal to broadcast the voice of um, Sinn Féin people, uh, the political party of the IRA. Um, so you couldn't broadcast the voice of Jerry Adams. And they, the BBC got around it by using voice actors to repeat what he was saying. Um, but, you know, you could end up with uh, more more draconian controls over the media or some sort of um, uh, licensing uh, system that, that bit harder. Um, you know, but, but the... Uh, as I say, so we're not necessarily at the bottom of the authoritarian valley, but we're rolling around it, um, we're rolling around that, that uh, stable equilibrium point rather, rather than trying to balance on the top of the hill. Of course, a lot of people say it is out of Hong Kong's control. It depends on broader geopolitical issues, particularly Sino-US relations. We're expecting further sanctions to be announced by the US today. Well, I'm sure you're not advocating them. No, of course not. This, uh, so we, we are discussing uh, what, what the <laughs> impact. I mean, that if, if uh, these things are outside Hong Kong's control and you have um, further sanctions and various measures announced by the US, is it possible we see a further deterioration? Um, it's, it, it's possible. Um, and... Uh, there was something that I described when um, the man was in office called the Trump dump um, as a possible action. Um, what they have, what they, um, I predicted and what they actually did was to start ordering U.S. investors not to invest in certain Chinese stocks that were linked to the mainland government. Um, and uh, they, 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 just before the end of his ter uh, term, they did start doing that and... For a while, it looked like the tracker fund would have to find a new manager. It might still, because it was run by an American fund manager and it was buying some of the banned stocks um, in the in the Hang Seng Index. So um, there, there could be uh, more of those kinds of, of actions. And clearly, there's there's a sort of overall global disengagement going on from uh, with with China in terms of um, trying to be more independent of. Uh, um, Chinese production and, and also disengagement from Asia somewhat. Uh, there's concern about TSMC, the biggest uh, foundry in, in Taiwan, and, and the chip shortages. And so America has now passed a, a bill or is going to, to, to spend $50 billion on subsidizing its own chip fabrications um, to disengage and be less reliant um, on, on Asian um, imports. Yeah, so, so we might we might see more of that. We might do, but could, but I, I don't really see any kind of economic impact in Hong Kong from, as you say, there are a lot of kind of uh, cultural, social changes, political mm -hmm. changes, but I just don't see the business impact. Really. Well, actually, the the um, it just kind of moves thing, moves things around somewhat. Um, we're more reliant on mainland capital to through the southbound connect to buy stocks that, if Americans are banned from from buying them, um, or European asset managers that haven't been banned and probably won't be uh, from from buying uh, uh, those stocks, and listings are actually they're, they're actually coming home um, because uh, uh, the the. the Mainland companies are delisting from U.S. exchanges or being required to because of uh, concerns over audit supervision. The, the U.S. auditing supervisor can't access all the papers that it would like to to inspect auditors. And so um, uh, more and more companies are, are being nudged towards the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. Obviously, that's good business uh, for Hong Kong. Um, so and we've seen that recently with tech companies uh, and three companies that were recently listed uh, in in the US 
uh, were called in and um, inspected uh, in, in parts of their business by mainland authorities. And there was a hint there that perhaps they shouldn't have listed in the US in the first place. And, uh, the, and the property... There used to be a badge of pride that you could be listed on New York Stock Exchange. Back in 2000, China Mobile went there and got listed and, you know, big fanfare and so on. Um, but now, uh, the, the, with, with the new, stronger, conf more confident mainland uh, economy and government, uh, they don't like the idea of foreign regulators um, supervising Chinese firms. So there'd still be a space for for Hong Kong. In fact, Hong Kong could be could be boosted. Cause... Indeed, until until capital controls are abolished, um, and that may be another long decade at least. Um, you know, Hong Kong is the the only international uh, capital market we will on mainland off, soil. We will live off IPOs, which is a precarious kind of well <laughs> it's income isn't it's, it I would it's have a thought. business uh, i mean it, it, around that you get auditors lawyers bankers printers um you know there's there's certain amount of and stockbrokers a certain amount of activity around it um uh, but um milk powder and, and hong IPOs. kong ought to be hong kong ought to be um, aiming to be more um of an asian hub uh, i've always said that with with a stock market trying to win business from the um, subcritical markets around the region that don't have very big stock exchanges of their own, and we, sh we should be doing much more of that, as London does for, for Europe and Eastern Europe. Because we used to survive on plastic flowers, didn't we? And wigs was a big thing. So. Yeah, there's a reindustrialization. I mean, this is another example of central planning. As I was saying earlier, that it, we, we can, if we want, do less central planning under an authoritarian regime, but when, there's no sign of it yet. Instead, there's much more of it. There's money going into subsidized factories in, in industrial estates and expanding the cyber port, you know, to give the white elephant a baby elephant. And, um, you know, there's. there's um, uh, expansion of of the ever loss making uh, ocean park and and um, uh, and continuation of Disneyland and uh, when, when that would make a wonderful housing estate that piece <laughs> of land over there and, and Penny's Bay wants me you know if we ever close the quarantine centre there which is kind of dormant at the moment but you know it's looking more and more permanent if we ever close that and there's a huge housing estate to be made and a whole city You'd, could spring uh, this up this is a topic for another day but you'd probably <laughs> close Disneyland as well wouldn't you right well you would close Disneyland and um, at Penny's Bay. Um, and and um, sell off the site in parcels to, to create a new city uh, quite close to the airport uh, through a, through a um, existing rail connection and so on. Um, you know, there's there's a big part of our land shortage, and maybe you don't need to do the the um, land tower tomorrow, tomorrow thing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, we have to wrap it up there, but we might ask Mike Rouse about that on Monday. Yeah, <laughs> David Webb. Many thanks for uh, You're welcome. comment, not just on today's issue, but uh, many uh, related and unrelated uh, uh, topics uh, as well. David Webb, the uh, founder and editor of uh, Website dot com, and you can have a look at that thirty years of uh, living in uh, Hong Kong essay on that uh, on that uh, website. Thanks very much indeed for that. Quick email. This is from uh, look, sorry, this is Facebook. Uh, from TC who says, a recent incident in North American professional sports reminded me of the topic of anti-Asian hate, something discussed on Backchat months ago. During a talk show on ESPN on Monday, Stephen A. Smith, an African-American, questioned the marketability of Japanese baseball star Shohei Otani, who's considered to be the next Babe Ruth, because, quote, he needs an interpreter to talk to baseball fans in the United States. While Smith apologised for his commentary, I expected something different from someone belonging to a group that claimed to have been oppressed for 400 years in North America. This incident also demonstrates that racial stroke xenophobic biases aren't just a problem with white people. That's from uh, TC.
uh, once again, our Facebook page is Bankchat on RTHK Radio 3. Finally today, we wanted to turn uh, to, uh, briefly to, to the uh, book fair. And uh, Chris Young uh, joins us uh, on the line. Thank you very much indeed, uh, 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 commentator and uh, journalist. Uh, Chris, good morning to you, Hi. and thanks, Hi. thanks for joining us. Book fair is, is, a, is a real institution in, in Hong Kong, isn't it? And, and this year, it skipped last year, but uh, this year um, uh, there's already some controversy over, over books and the national security uh, legislation. Uh, what, what do we learn from that, do you think? Well, uh, book, uh, book fair is always a, a very good indicator of um, the, ten- the, the, the sentiments uh, the atmosphere of the society, because uh, what kind of books are on sale are being allowed on sale, and what kind of books are, are being sold like uh, hotcakes are always a good indicator of uh, public uh, sentiments. In previous years, political books uh, like those cartoons, uh, ridiculing uh, CH Tong or Regina Yip as uh, Lo Mong Tong, uh, Old City Tong, and the hairstyle of uh, Regina Yip uh, were always um, uh, so well, uh, pretty popular. And that's a good indication of the uh, room of uh, freedom of expression uh, in the uh, society. So even people like C.H. Tong or, Red or Regina Yip say, um, of course, uh, they, they would not be happy, but still um, that's a, a reflection of the freedom of publication, expression in society. But, but, but this year, um, in fact, in, in, in recent years, um, after the Causeway Bay bookstore uh, case, um, those relating to Chinese politics or commerce Chinese politics, leadership scandals, etc., vanish uh, uh, from bookstores, uh, from, from the book fair. And this year, um, uh, much broader, those relating to June 4, um, uh, books being written by journalists, uh, about 89 and also the 30th anniversary uh, vanish. And uh, recently, a book uh, written by 42 uh, journalists um, uh, on topics relating to the 2019 uh, social movement, all, all, are, are, all uh, are first, first-hand uh, reporting, reflections um, on the uh, controversy on the, on the, on the social movement. And um, apparently, there's no directive from Trade Development Council for uh, for participants not to put it on sale. But but um, clearly, in fact, uh, one of the bookstore um, owner uh, said publicly that uh, bookstore say uh, owners just uh, did self censorship. Um, they just don't want to take the risk of putting those books. Uh, on um, on the on their booths and facing the risk, the likelihood or the danger of uh, police officers um, say seizing or, or, or taking them away. Uh, so um, that's a very sad for uh, the book fair itself and also for Hong Kong as a whole. Because uh, as I said at the very beginning, and that that's a that's a good indicator of uh, what kind of. Uh, room of freedom that we have. So what's going to happen to these kind of books? Do, do you think they'll still be published in Hong Kong or people will just stop well, writing them? Um, or Still, uh, I, I use the example of the book written by journalists uh, about the social movement. Uh, it's still on sale in small-scale bookstores in places like Hong Kong, uh, 
what we call those are upstairs uh, bookstores. But uh, for the big bookstores, uh, those owned by Chinese-funded um, enterprises, uh, which has a dominating market share, I think 7 to 80 percent market share, uh, they are not on sale. Secondly, uh, we, it's almost an open secret that uh, printers um, are afraid of taking uh, 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 orders or publishing books uh, whose content are sensitive. Even if they uh, take the orders, um, they don't want their names to be printed on the on the books. And um, and again, I think they don't want to take the risk. If those books are being, uh, say, um, categorized as, uh, say, um, uh, those uh, that may say violate the national security law, uh, are anyone involved in the process of um, the printing uh, or the production of the books uh, will be in big, big, uh, in big, big trouble. So um, the the impact, in fact, on publication, on, on publishing industry, in fact, uh, is it, it, quite obvious uh, since the implementation of NSL. Mm. Well, Chris Yang, thank you very much indeed for, for joining us this morning. Uh, much obliged. Uh, and uh, let's wrap up with a couple of comments. Uh, Jim H says, uh, talking about David Webb, it seems this person lives on the dark side of the moon. Very depressing. And uh, Andrew K says, well, uh, sorry, he, he refers to a, an email that he wrote in November uh, saying, people leaving Hong Kong, again, how disconnected from reality are these people? Revisit this every six months, you will see the stupidity of this argument. Andrew K says, well, six months have passed since my mail below. Anyone keeping a tally of how many people have actually fled our oppressed city? Uh, two question marks. And the answer is no. So I know nobody is keeping a tally on how many have, have left Hong Kong. Well, yes, it's difficult. I know David Webb has been trying to chart, hasn't he? He's looked at the difference between the uh, number of people arriving at the airport and the number of people leaving. But, I mean, there are so many variables that mm. uh, it's very difficult to work out. Okay. Danny, thank you very much indeed. Uh, that's it from us. Leaving now with the weather. And there's lots of it. It's mainly cloudy with sunny intervals. There'll be a few showers and some isolated thunderstorms. Temperatures up to 33 degrees. There's the thunderstorm warning now in effect, effective until 11.30. There's a very hot weather warning as well. The outlook, the weather unsettled with occasional showers during the weekend and early next week as well. 29 degrees, the latest readings, relative humidity is at 80%. Have a good weekend. To defeat the COVID-19 epidemic and resume normal life, everyone should get vaccinated. No matter how young or fit we are, we may still be infected. Even if the infection is mild, the disease may also have long-term impacts on your health. Vaccination provides protection to ward off new strains of the virus. For the health of yourself and your family, and for the resumption of normal life, go for it. We will win by getting vaccinated together. I'm 34, the news with Samantha Butler. The United States is reportedly preparing to impose sanctions today on a number of Chinese officials over the crackdown on opposition figures in Hong Kong, as well as issue a warning to international businesses operating here about deteriorating conditions. The Reuters report cites two people who say financial sanctions could target seven officials from Beijing's liaison office. 
The head of the World Health Organization has urged China to be more cooperative with the WHO's planned second phase investigation into the origins of the coronavirus. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus said the WHO team should have direct information about the situation of the laboratory in Wuhan before and at the start of the pandemic. And Chancellor Angela Merkel says she's shocked by the humanitarian disaster in western Germany, where the worst floods in decades have claimed nearly 60 lives. Mrs Merkel warned the full